Sunday afternoon, everybody. I'm Brian Bledsoe, your host of the Desert Farmer Podcast, and just want to get back on here with you today and go over a few things that uh, I think may be important as we go forward over the next, say, 10 days to two weeks, and then we'll talk a little bit more about some long-range stuff uh, thereafter. But uh, big storm system came through last week, basically impacted areas of eastern Wyoming, southern South Dakota, northern Nebraska, and eastward into the Corn Belt. Some of the more significant moisture that that region has had at least in a little while. So while areas farther south largely got shorted uh, by that storm system, that's kind of how we figured things were going to play out right along that area, uh, basically along and north of I-80 was essentially going to be the big target zone with that particular storm. Even dropped some pretty significant snow uh, for some elevations up in Wyoming. So season's definitely changing, and obviously here we are in the middle part of October, and we haven't had any really cold air make its way southward, nor has there really been any significant cold air building uh, immediately up to our north. But obviously this time of year, it's certainly something that we kind of keep a close eye on. Now, this upcoming week looks extremely quiet across most of the midsection of the United States. Just really beautiful fall-like weather around. Uh, we're going to see a nice little warm-up, at least initially, followed by a cool-down, I think, later in the week. But any significant moisture uh, chances, I think, are going to be well to the east across the upper portion of the Midwest as another little storm system dives through there. Uh, during the middle part of this week. So if you've got some things to get done, uh, you're wrapping up some harvest, maybe you're doing some wheat planting and whatnot, uh, this is definitely going to be a good week to get that accomplished because like I said, I don't see anything significant really coming through. I do have uh, my eye on something that could possibly be more significant, say in about a week to 10 days from now, um, where we might have a little bit of a connection as far as the remnants of a would-be hurricane off the Baja region of California. California, and a lot of that tropical moisture could sneak northward. Right now, a lot of that gets dumped out across parts of west, central, and northeast Texas on up into Oklahoma. And this is still a long ways out there, folks. So there's still some things that obviously have to come together for that to um, have a decent chance of coming to fruition. But in terms of our next, what I would say, solid chance of some variable weather taking place uh, across the western, central, and southern high plains, I think that that's probably going to be in a week to 10 days is kind of what our target zone uh, would essentially be, which again, not unprecedented for this time of year to be dry and uh, kind of anemic as far as the pattern is concerned. And then once the pattern loads up again, things could be a little bit more active. And we were kind of targeting the back half of uh, October for a specific reason. And as we headed into November, because um, you hear me talk about the, the Madden-Julian oscillation a lot of times where uh, it, it's this 30 to 60 day cycle of this uh, you know pattern that is tied to some long range weather that migrates around the globe and uh, and that's a really simple breakdown of this okay the MJO is something that's fairly complex uh, and it has been persisting over in the Indian Ocean and when things kind of come to uh, a head to where it can actually migrate farther east as a stronger signal that's when we really start to focus on some significant weather possible uh, in the western half of the United States, and then eventually it could probably propagate farther east. So the MJO is something that I have my eye on, and different computer models are handling it differently. We've got the El Nino conditions going on right now, which a lot of times will interfere with the progression 
of the MJO as it makes its way through. But other times, we can lock into a pretty good signal, and it can be a strong one, and it can actually have a good shot of making its way farther east across the Central Pacific Ocean and having an impact on us here uh, in the United States as well as other places around the globe. So if that MJO signal can get a nice little bump, probably after about, say, the, the 20th of October, as I said, in a week to 10 days, uh, that's kind of the angle that we're looking at for some more significant weather to possibly um, rear its head and impact us in the midsection of the United States. And I know that that's kind of a complex thing that we're looking at that far out uh, and not something you can totally hang your hat on right now. But some of the computer model information that I've been looking at in terms of how the MJO signal would develop and be able to propagate and be able to have an impact has definitely got my attention just a little bit. So with that in mind, that's kind of a short-range discussion what we're talking about. But something that's really been bothering me that I've really been diving into is a lot of the stuff that I'm seeing in terms of uh, what El Nino is going to mean for us going through the rest of fall, winter, and obviously as we head into early 2024. And I just want to kind of break a couple of things down for you here this afternoon that I think are very significant. And one of those things are the, the is the sea surface temperature anomalies right now in those ENSO regions, in the central and eastern Pacific Ocean, are warm. We're talking about anywhere from a degree and a half to, in some cases, three degrees Celsius above average, depending on where you're measuring that. And obviously the core, the warmest anomaly is right off the West Coast of South America. And that is what has given birth to uh, what we call a traditional or East-based El Nino episode. And that has been the case now for uh, the past several months, that that's where the warmest anomalies have been. In time, that warm anomaly is likely going to shift around a little bit in those ENSO regions and propagate a little bit farther to the west. It's likely not going to stay stagnant. But the, the, the real thing that is important to me and has caught my eye over the past few weeks or so, and I touched on it in a previous podcast episode, is the MEI, and that is the Multivariative ENSO Index. And think of it as basically... Uh, all of the elements that are tied to ENSO put into a particular index and you score a, a, a specific number, okay? You're not just looking at the sea surface temperature anomalies out of this deal. And I think a lot of folks just look at those anomalies and say, well, El Nino is going to do this. El Nino's positioned here, so it's going to do this. But I'll tell you what, that, that MEI is essentially a measure of how coupled we are between the ocean and the atmosphere. And by that, I'm saying how well they are working together to produce the El Nino response within the atmosphere and within the weather patterns. Past El Nino episodes that we have looked at, say, uh, in 1516, in 9798, uh, also back into 8283, those are some of the stronger East-based or traditional El Nino episodes that we've been looking at. The MEI value was up around 1.5 to 2. The number is really arbitrary, okay? It just is a measure of how strong the, the El Nino response within the atmosphere is, okay? Right now, our MEI value is at a 0.6. That is really far behind what other El Nino episodes um, have produced in the past that have looked like this. 
And that has kind of got me a little bit bothered about what the overall weather pattern and atmospheric response is going to be going forward for the rest of fall, winter, and into the first half of 2024. And I think that that's something that gets neglected a lot. Uh, so what I did is I was digging into past uh, El Nino events, looking at what at this time of year, what El Nino events have been um, basically scoring a 0.5 to 0.6 on the MEI scale. And you have you just kind of look back to uh, 2009, 2010, 2006, 2007. Those were a couple of ones that stood out to me. But the problem with those types of El Nino events is they weren't as strong of an East-based or traditional El Nino. So there are a lot of variables here and a lot of mixed signals as to, in my opinion, how El Nino is going to play out with our weather pattern as we go forward over the next several months. I think putting all of our eggs in that El Nino basket is it's just going to do this and it's just going to mean this, I think is a huge mistake because if you look back when the MEI was weaker during ENSO events, it produced some pretty wildly different outcomes from what an average weather pattern would favor during an El Nino. There were some dry years in California, Southern California, when it shouldn't have been. There were some dry years in the Southeast United States, which is very unusual to see when you have an El Nino, especially an East-based El Nino like what we have right now. So I think we have to pay attention to these values. We also have to pay attention to uh, how the MJO is going to respond during this particular El Nino, because to be honest with you, in many cases, the MJO is much more important than, than the El Nino episode because the MJO kind of governs what our 30 to 60 day uh, weather pattern cycle is going to look at. And you might scratch your head and say, this is a lot of information. And what is this just going to mean for me? Just tell me what it's going to do over the next several months. And to be honest with you, I think that's a real hard thing to figure out right now. We kind of have an idea of how these indices are going to move forward. But until we see the true response and what it's going to mean for the actual atmosphere and the weather pattern, I think I still think we have a lot of work to do here uh, in figuring that out. And I think that's why it's so important to monitor this stuff uh, you know, all the time to see how things are changing and going forward instead of just looking at a long-range forecast and saying, this is how things are going to play out over the next several months. And then you don't revisit that. I think you kind of continually have to revisit that and tweak things along the way. And there may be a specific time where you just look at the forecast and just say, I've got to junk what my previous thoughts were. And I kind of have to pay attention to what's going on and use that information to project going forward. So uh, I, I think that's going to be my goal is to help keep folks updated about how this is playing out and these different signals and what they're going to mean in our atmosphere going forward. Now, that being said, I do think that there is a solid chance of the midsection of the country having some decent winter weather this year. And by decent winter weather, I mean uh, above average uh, cold and snow. If you live farther south in southern Oklahoma, North Texas, and farther in, in, in that particular region, you might have a higher risk of not only wintry precipitation in the form of not just you know some snow, but also some ice that's moving through there. 
because one of the things that have been uh, has been present with this El Nino that is usually a hallmark of the El Nino episode is a southern jet stream. The southern branch of the jet stream has been fired up, and that's one of the reasons why I think during the uh, as we wrap up October and head into November, there is a chance that that southern branch of the jet stream gets invigorated. We see some moisture come up, and and that would look more El Nino like in the response versus everything going through the northern stream and up across the northern tier uh, of the United States. So uh, definitely some work to do going forward, folks. And I'm, I'm, I appreciate you staying on top of this with me, whether it's uh, whether I do specific work for you or whether it's right here on the Desert Farmer podcast or uh, you know, if, if you see me tweeting some things out about this, I think that there are some things that we definitely have to continue to reevaluate going forward. So we have a good measured forecast before, uh, you know, a lot of folks say this is exactly how this is going to be, because I think that that's just simply misinformation, uh, right now. So didn't want to tie up too much of your Sunday. Just wanted to get some info out there and have a little conversation with you about it. Um, as always greatly appreciate, uh, everything that you do, your follower, uh, your followership, your listenership here. Uh, I, I greatly appreciate the interaction and the feedback that you're giving me. Big Desert Farmer shout out today. I want to give a big shout out to Mr. AJ Ward, Eastern Colorado farmer. I tell you what, AJ and I have been working together for the past several years. Top shelf dude, thinks a lot out of the box with how to go about doing things. and just a great communicator within the desert farmer community. And I really appreciate his friendship. I also appreciate our professional friendship uh, and business relationship because uh, he was one of the folks that took a chance on me very early. And I hope that I've been doing all I can to serve him and his uh, his business interests over the past several years. So big shout out to AJ. Hope you're well, brother. We'll be chatting soon. Everybody here on the Desert Farmer Podcast, have a great rest of your Sunday, and I hope you have an absolutely great week, folks. Take care.